We have reached the end of 1 Timothy in our study. We have been working through this book throughout the fall season. We can go ahead and put our slide up there. I hope it's been helpful to you personally as we've gone through this study. I hope it's been helpful to us as a church. Um, there's a lot of practical things here, uh, important truths that we just need to, to remember, to get down and to, to follow through on. Um, but as it wraps up, I think we kind of pull back and see the big picture again as we draw this study to a close. And um, I'm just going to title this message, Take Hold of Life. Take Hold of Life. And I want to invite you to look, uh, follow along with me as I read here through uh, chapter 6, verses uh, 11 through 21. Paul writes, For as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who is in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good fortune or as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray that it would uh, be made clear to us as we study it today and help us to receive from you. And uh, Lord, we thank you for this grace that guides us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm giving this message the title, Take Hold of Life. Take Hold of Life. And there's a lot of ideas here in this, these verses that we just looked at. And then it's sort of a, a recapitulation of sorts with, with all these different themes that we find uh, throughout the whole letter of 1 Timothy. So if you've been with us through this study, you might see some of the same ideas coming back that we've looked at earlier, but it comes back around to us with some really uh, clear instructions. In fact, some kind of 
strong verbs, some commands that are given. If you, if you scan back through what I just read, look for some of those key uh, command uh, words. He says, flee. He says, pursue. He says, fight. He says, take hold. He says, guard. And, and, and throughout there are all these instructions that are really pretty, pretty intense, calling for some decisive action. Now that we've gotten to the end of this letter, it's time in the closing remarks for Paul to say to Timothy, now is the time to rise up, to step up, and, 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 and not to be passive towards the pressures that you face or the challenges that you're up against, but instead be determined to take hold and to act. And so the finale of this letter is a rally cry for a life that moves forward with purpose. And so our aim is to take hold of life. And I, I find this phrase here in the passage itself. It comes up a couple of times. First in verse 12. Um, let me make sure I'm on here. There we go. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Paul says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And then in verse 19, down towards the end of the passage, he says, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So these aren't my words, these are Paul's words. The challenge to take hold of life. And what does that mean? Because it can be difficult to take hold of life. In fact, oftentimes it might feel like life takes hold of you. You ever been there? We can find ourselves in a wrestling match with whatever the struggle may be or the challenge that we're facing and the ups and the downs or, or the successes or the failures or the hopes or the discouragement. And the days can sometimes run past us without feeling like there's much direction or purpose to where we're going. And we have not taken hold of life. Life has taken hold of us. And so the challenge is to take hold of life in a way that is true and purposeful and in accordance with God's will for us. And I've been listening the past couple weeks while I drive. I've got an audio book I'll put on. And late the last few weeks, it's been Viktor Frankl's classic, Man's Search for Meaning. And Frankl was an Austrian psychiatrist who was sent to a Nazi concentration camp. His wife, his brother, his parents all died in the camps. He was in four different concentration camps over the course of three years. He ended up finally in Auschwitz, where he miraculously survived. But through that experience as a psychiatrist, he uh, observed himself and others in the midst of extreme suffering. And he considered its effects on people and our response in human nature. And, and there's uh, numerous insights he gleans from that experience and shares within his book, but he concluded that our deepest motivation is the search for meaning. Our deepest motivation in life is the search for meaning. And a metaphor that he used in that book that kind of jumped out at me as I was driving this week and listening to it was uh, the way he described some people as going through life as if they're sort of tearing off the pages of their calendar and crumpling them up and throwing them away. 
and they're, they're feeling like life is getting away from them. They're anxious because, because they're worrying as the end gets closer. They're wondering, what, what's the point? And they just they tear off the calendar page each month, crumple it up, throw it away. And then he says there are others who take each page of the calendar of life and they have written on that the things that they've done. And maybe they write down the things that they've experienced. Maybe even the things they've suffered. And they fold it and store it and they keep it in a place that's special so that they remember where they've been. And instead they, of, of, of despair and anxiety, they recall their story in life and what it's meant to them and they see meaning emerge. And he says the second group is on their way to taking hold of life because they can see the meaning in what they're doing. Even though it might be suffering as he knew. And, and so what we are going to do is pursue this idea a little further of what it means to take hold of life, to take hold of eternal life, to take hold of that which is truly life. Because if we don't do this, we do not have meaning and we will fail to find God's purpose for us. So how do we take hold of life? I want to first, in drawing from the many statements that, that Paul gives us here in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, focus on some things he tells us will not give meaning to your life. Because there's plenty out there that offers us the hope of some kind of meaning, but it doesn't come through. And so we're going to start by looking at that. Um, you will not take hold of life through riches. You will not take hold of life through riches. And I want you to notice verse 11. Uh, this takes us back a little bit to where we were last Sunday. But he says there in verse 11, As for you, O man of God, flee these things. And you might say, well, what does he mean? What are these things that he is talking about? So you've got to go back to the previous paragraph where he's talking about the love of money. He's talking about the pursuit or the desire for riches. And he's saying, flee it. Get away from it. And you will not take hold of life there. In fact, riches have a very special way of taking hold of you. The more we gather, the more we want. The more we have, the more we worry about. And that's the challenge that this text is calling us to avoid. In fact, he's saying not just to avoid it, but what's the verb he, he uses there? It's to flee from it. And we flee whenever there's a temptation that is present. Riches tempt us. They tempt us with a vain substitute for life. Riches look good to the eye. They, they seem good to the imagination, but they do not pan out as expected in the end. And there's an article I, I found in, in Discipleship Journal that says it this way. I think this is pretty well. I said I just need to read it. Money will buy a bed, but not sleep. Books, but not brains. Money will buy food, but not an appetite. Finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Luxuries, but not culture. Amusements, but not happiness. Religion, but not salvation. A passport to everywhere but heaven. And yet we can be warned of this over and over and over again. But 
Isn't it amazing how that temptation remains? As long as we live in this world, that pressure remains to think that we will take hold of life through riches. And so we are drawn continuously into that orbit that riches offer us. And of course, we all need money. We, uh, we all need to, to use money to do what needs to, to, to get us by in life. And so we are to be good money managers. And that requires the right attitude, the right mindset about money. And when we think of money as being ours, it, it seduces us. It, it wraps its power around us. But when we see that the money we have belongs to God... And we recognize that he has commissioned us to be his his steward, his money manager of of, of those riches for his purpose. Then we are uh, able to step away from that temptation and and the hold that it has on our lives. And then we start to realize that all the riches belong to God and God's pouring out his blessing on us. He's taking care of us and our attitude can change. So we are realizing that we don't take hold of life through riches. Riches take hold of you. And maybe that's good news for some of you because the pursuit of riches hasn't gone all that well. Well, remember, God has more for us than all the riches this world has to offer. So you will not take hold of life through riches. The second thing Paul, Paul makes clear for us here in this passage is that you will not take hold of life through knowledge. And I I wanted you to see this in verse 20. So down towards the end of this passage, he brings this up right at the very close of his letter. He says, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And that knowledge is kind of in uh, quotations there. And so you're going to ask yourself, what is he talking about here? And if you've been with us through this study of, of Timothy, maybe you can start to connect the dots. Remember some other things that, that he's talked about earlier in this letter. And he's, he's mentioned false teachers. He's talked about gossips. He's talked about those who prey on the weak-minded These are people who claim to be in the know, the people who have the knowledge and the expertise and the the understanding that you need and, and often take advantage of others. They want you to think they have what you don't have, and then they draw you in by peddling that knowledge. They want you to think you need their insight in order to really see how things are. So there's a lot that passes as knowledge out there that claims to offer life, but you will not take hold of life through this knowledge. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that a significant portion of what we find in in social media today or throughout the internet can be described with these very words. Irreverent babble, contradictions, and what is falsely called knowledge. Can I get an amen? I think that sums it up in many ways. The lesson here is that we'll never take hold of life through the fire hose of information when so much of its irreverent babble contradictions and falsely called knowledge. Of course, we're conditioned to think we we need it. We have to have it and we need more and more of it. But you don't. Go a week without it and see what you've missed. You haven't missed a thing. Nothing's changed. 
Life goes on without you knowing what happened. You cannot take hold of life through the information fire hose. It presents a similar danger as riches. It's easy to get tangled up in it, to get seduced by it, to think everything matters with that, and, and, and then ultimately to realize it's taken hold of you. You will not take hold of life through this kind of knowledge. So that's the warning. That's what to watch out for. But what's the positive instruction for us? Well, to take hold of life, we need to do a few things that Paul described here. And the first is to pursue virtue. To pursue virtue. And that's in verse 11. Uh, back to the beginning of our text, he says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, uh, this week, actually, yes. So, so next week, next Sunday, we're going to have available to you the new uh, Advent devotional. And um, members of the church here have contributed uh, readings for each day for the 24 days of December leading up to uh, Christmas Day. And so we're going to have those devotionals available, and hopefully you'll be here to pick one up and to take it and to read it each day. And the theme this year for these devotionals is, is virtue, a virtuous advent. Um, and then the, the messages here through the Advent season will also focus on this theme as well. This pursuit of virtue. Virtue is another way of saying holiness, and it's being set apart for God's purpose. And we are never more fully alive than when we're in the full-on pursuit of virtue, of holiness, of what God created us to be. God's whole reason for our being, our meaning, is to be formed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the picture of every perfect virtue. And that's what God wants us to, to set our aim on. And if you're not sure what pursuing virtue looks like. Maybe consider this as, a, as a, 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 a test that you can take. I think it was Dr. Joe Stoll, who I first heard this from years ago, who called it the pillow test. And the pillow test works like this. When you rest your head on your pillow at night and you begin to drift off towards sleep and your mind goes back on what you did that day, what will you think of? Will your heart be at ease that you had done the right thing? Because isn't that when our conscience sometimes speaks to us? Were you sincere in your conversations with others? How would, did you treat your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Did you have complete integrity in your dealings at work? Take hold of life through the pursuit of virtue so that God can shape you more and more, the person he wants you to be, to be like Jesus, to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. If we can look back on that day and realize that God has been able to work some more of that into us, we can rest confidently that God is helping us take hold of life in the way that he wants it to be. To pursue virtue. Next, to take hold of life, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the fight of faith. 
If you're going to take hold of life, then you're going to need to fight for faith. Because life is going to throw you around sometimes, and your faith will be tested. You will have doubts. You will struggle. You will question. You will be tempted. And Paul has no illusions about this. He knows it's not a cakewalk. He knows this isn't going to be easy street. And if, if, if that were the case, he wouldn't have told us, you got to fight this fight of faith. It's a battle sometimes. And there's an enemy out there who wants to break your hold on life. He doesn't want you to take hold of life. He wants you to continue being pulled around by this and that and to be aimless and purposeless in your life. But down in verse 20 of our passage, Paul reminds Timothy again. He says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. You have to guard it because there's an enemy who would like to steal it. And so there's this battle that we each face. You cannot assume that the faith that God has imparted to you can be left unguarded. And I think this is the main reason many wander from the faith, especially young people. They assume, well, if I believe, I believe. If I don't, I don't. Okay, well, if you're not guarding the faith, you are at risk. Because this is a fight that we are in. Because of our condition, because of the circumstances we face, because of the sufferings that are before us, there is a battle. And to engage that battle, we've got to be steadfast in prayer and in worship and growing in God's word and in the fellowship and the encouragement of others around us to help us. You know, we aren't very good guards on our own, but we can together guard one another in that deposit that God has blessed us with. So to take hold of life, you're going to have to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith, as we see there in verse 12. And then third, to take hold of life, maintain a Godward vision. Maintain a Godward vision. And I want to highlight for you verse 13, where it says, God gives life to all things. God gives life to all things. So if we're going to take hold of life, where is this life to come from? It's come from God. And if it's going to come from God, we need to look to him, the source of our life. And this is where Paul gets so excited. He just starts rolling right into praise. He cannot stop himself. By the time he gets to verses 15 and 16, he breaks out into song. Or we call this a doxology, a fancy word for all-out praise to God. He says, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. I mean, it just kind of like right in the middle, he just starts singing because he knows what an awesome vision he has of who God is. And he's imparting that vision to us as well, to see and understand who this great God is that we worship. For the past few weeks, I've been using those verses as our benediction. Maybe you've uh, recognized that, and, and I'll use it again today because it's such a great way to, to end our service of praise each week focused on a Godward vision of all things. Describing the Lord as sovereign, as king of kings, lord of lords, immortal, dwelling in blazing light and glory, reigning over all. 
If we think about God for very long and we think about him that way, it shapes everything in our life, doesn't it? Puts it all into perspective. So any attempt to take hold of life apart from a Godward vision like that is going to leave us adrift, untethered, subject to all the crosswinds of life and the, 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 the circumstances that drag us down. But a Godward vision puts us in, 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 in the path of something deeper, of what God is doing and ultimately guiding us into eternity with. And I found this idea described uh, interestingly through uh, an example from nature. And they say that if you go up to Greenland or around that part of the world and you see the icebergs and, and you observe the movement of these different pieces of ice, you'll notice something strange sometimes. It doesn't happen all the time, but on occasion, you'll notice that the small chunks of ice will be moving one direction, while the giant icebergs are moving the opposite direction. And you might scratch your head and say, well, how could that possibly be? Why wouldn't they all be flowing the same way? Well, scientists explain it this way quite simply, really. The, the small ones are moved by the wind. And the wind could be coming from any direction. Maybe north, maybe south, maybe east, maybe west. But the giant icebergs that have most of that ice deep beneath the surface are moved by only one thing, and that is the ocean currents. And those ocean currents don't shift. They're always going the same way. And it's a great analogy for us in life. If we are being just tossed about by the wind, we're like those little chunks of ice that move this way or that way, depending on what the circumstances might happen to be at that moment. But if we are the, the iceberg moved by the currents of God's sovereign will and purpose and plan, we now have a direction that's driven in a deeper way, that's not subject to the, the, the immediacy of, of, of the circumstances. And it's a Godward vision that makes the difference, that we are tuned into the fact that God is doing big things, eternal things, that we want to be a part of. That's how we take hold of that, which is truly life. Um, it's also important to see uh, down in verse 17, where it says, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. What a great passage to, um, to keep fresh in your mind this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving. Because we have somebody to thank, don't we? We have a Lord who provides, and he provides us with everything to enjoy. He is our provider. So think about the need to take hold of life in these three ways and reflect on your own life today. Have you taken hold of what is truly life? Or are you still being moved about by the winds that flow this way and then that? Are you tearing off the months of the calendar and just crumpling them up and throwing them into the garbage can, wondering where life's going? Or are you noting the ways that God is at work, giving meaning and purpose to what you do? Take hold of life, pursuing virtue, by fighting the good fight of faith, 
by maintaining a Godward vision in all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good that you provide for us. We thank you that we can enjoy the good gifts that you make uh, clear to us. Help us, Lord, to, to maintain that vision of you, to fight the good fight of faith and to pursue virtue and the strength that you give us. We thank you that it is your grace that enables it because we know how weak we are. We thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross, to forgive us and to make us whole to give us the power we need to walk in your way. In his name I pray. Amen.